Welcome back to the Code Adam podcast. My name is Julia, and today's interview is with Meg Sullivan. Meg was in the troubled teen industry between February 2012 to March 2013, just over a year. Uh, thank you so much, Meg, for being our guest today. Could you please tell us what your first experience with the troubled teen industry was like? Yeah, of course. So um, I actually started out in the troubled teen industry very young. I was a freshman in high school, so I was 13, going on 14. I did not have an experience with Safe and Sound um, like others had who went to Ironwood. My parents actually brought me there, which Safe and Sound is very traumatic, and I feel awful for everyone who went through that experience of being legally kidnapped and their parents paying for that to happen. Um, I had to go through the whole process of getting my own things to go to Ironwood and not being able to say goodbye to my friends at school and not being able to say goodbye to my family. So in that, it was pretty traumatic sitting in the car on the drive up. Um, I'm from Massachusetts, so it was about a four and a half hour drive of just absolute dread and not knowing what was gonna meet me on the other side. Um, my parents were introduced to the troubled teen industry by a therapist who's actually pretty crooked. Um, she gets a pretty heavy kickback, which is when a provider is paid money for the amount of residents they bring to a program and the duration of that resident's stay. And that's how my parents were introduced to this style of behavior modification, as I'll call it, um, from someone who was getting paid to do that. So you, did you know that you were going to be sent to Ironwood? I knew the day before. So I knew the morning before we were going to leave the next morning. And that entire day I spent gathering my possessions, which 99% of them I could not have. Um, they were taken from me. I didn't know where they went. They went to Persephone <laughs> with our personal belongings locked somewhere away until we could see them again. But yeah, I knew for 24 hours, and I would have to say that 24 hours was one of the most stressful and traumatic experiences, was just knowing that everything I was and had and everyone I knew was going to be gone. It's always terrifying, I think, once you realize like that's happening. I don't think when you hear, oh, you're being sent away, you... Even as a kid, you can't even imagine, like, an Ironwood experience. So my parents didn't even imagine um, what Ironwood was like. They were told bits and pieces, just like I was. My parents were pretty honest about what they knew about it. And after I graduated, my parents and I talked very openly about the experience. And they said if they knew some of the things that were going on, they would have never sent me there. Um, like, how we didn't get a mattress, how we couldn't... My mom didn't know I wasn't going to be able to talk to her except through letters for my entire first level. Um, she didn't know my brothers wouldn't be able to come to family weekends or see me or speak to me. I wasn't allowed to speak to my brothers in family therapy. Um, so it was all... Uh, my family does regret parts of it, that's for sure, because they were lied to. I think a lot of families feel very similar. About what to expect. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of families out there that feel, uh, you know, a similar way that, you know, at, at the end of the day, like they didn't get told like the full story or the full picture of what was going on day to day. They kind of just got a few like nice letters from us and a couple pictures here and there. Um, but what yeah. what I wanted to ask you was um, what your what was your relationship with the staff at your program like? So my relationship with staff was pretty interesting. And I say that for two reasons. Um, I really connected with some staff, but some of that staff, I didn't realize how much I connected with them until after I left the program and was like friends with them on Facebook and were able to talk to some of them and other staff. 
I felt like just did not have the knowledge to take care of us. And I also feel like a lot of the time staff were looking for something wrong or looking for something to correct or punish for. I spent a lot of time um, getting demerits and doing work impact. And a lot of that has to do with the fact of the therapist who recommended Ironwood has dramatized and escalated my life scenario to the point where staff kind of felt like they had to find something wrong, even if I wasn't doing something wrong. Uh, I wasn't like Skylar. I wasn't given water bottles or a bunch of different hats. Um, They kind of just yelled at me and gave me hours of work, which was awful. I do remember you being punished quite a bit, actually. I think every time I was on Work Impact, I was you were there with me. <laughs> or um, I just do remember you getting punished a lot as well. Like, there was a couple girls, and I think it was maybe you and Skylar and um, maybe Heather as well, who got singled out a lot more than some of us. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I was compliant for most of it, but I also called staff out when they did stuff that was wrong and I called staff out when they were treating us like crap and they didn't like to be called out on their, their stuff. I mean, they didn't like to be told like, Hey, you shouldn't talk to someone like that. I remember specifically an instance with Jess where she was talking down to, I believe it was Heather. And I went over to Jess and I was like, you can't talk to people like that. And I was 13 years old standing up to this, 30-something-year-old woman who was basically in charge of the way I lived and, like, my potential enjoyment throughout the day. And I just had no remorse for calling her out because she was... It was a day... It was Kelsey because it was a day she wouldn't get out of bed and she didn't want to get up. And she was just so tired from the day before. And I literally was like, Jess, back off. Like, just leave her alone. Let her sleep. I think that's why they didn't like me very much. Well, and one of my second questions for you is, um, at what point in the program did you decide to comply with the rules so that you could more could move forward? So I, I tried to comply in the beginning. It was really hard to be treated kind of like trash. Um, but I did start out and I try, I did try really, really hard to get staff to like me and to get through the levels. And my situation's pretty interesting. When I was at the farmhouse, This was a situation with Darren, and I think he was just having a really bad day that day. But when you were at the farmhouse, you could potentially sit on the porch to do your schoolwork. Um, But I had already finished all my schoolwork, so I basically would just sit and look at the clocks that didn't have the right time on them and try to guess how much time was left of the school day because we had to sit there the whole time. And I really wanted to sit on the porch to do my work or to just sit and stare at the horses in the field. And he told me I couldn't, but I was able to walk up to the farmhouse early um, because blues were allowed to do that. And he was not happy about the fact that I was sitting on the porch when we got up there, when the whole group got up there, because he thought I did it out of spite and to like swindle him into letting me sit on the porch. However, there was only one male staff in the schoolhouse and I wasn't allowed to be inside of there with just the teacher and me. So the teacher had me sit out there and he didn't want to hear it. And I got sent down from the farmhouse to Fry and I got sent down for 36 days. So it was a very long stay back in level one. 
Um, and at that point, when I got sent down for that, I was like, screw it. Screw Darren. Screw all the staff. I hate this place. I went through, you know, the whole defiance phase where I just wouldn't do anything. They put me on work impact and I was like, fine, give me a saw. I'll saw my hand off. I don't care. I'm not doing that. Um, so then I spent days rebuilding the fire pit over and over and over again. Um, but that's a moment where I just was like, I'm so over this. He wouldn't hear my side of the story. I was completely demoralized and belittled for following the rules. And that's when I thought, these rules aren't important. These rules don't mean anything. They don't create any type of positive outcome. They're just for control and manipulation. And I said, the day I got sent back up to the farmhouse, day 36, I was like, all right, I just have to get out of here. Like, I'll just do what I'm told so I can leave. Yeah, I just want um, any of the audience listening to know that the levels one and two, so like no privileges is what Fry is. So when we say Fry, we're talking about no privileges and levels three and four is at the farmhouse. So it's a totally separate building, much nicer. You definitely get like mattresses up there. Like you can use um, a laundry machine and um, there's just a lot more privileges. The food's nicer, everything like that. So I just wanted to clarify but yeah thank you for sharing that it sucks that you got sent down because that must have felt like a loss of so much you know progress yeah and when I was sent down it was I was going through a lot when I was at Ironwood not just with being sent there um but I had an uncle who had stage four brain cancer who actually passed away when I was at the program and my parents were told I'd be able to go to the funeral I'd be able to be a part of it I would be able to say goodbye. I'd be able to do all of that. Um, the goodbye that was offered to me was a letter to my uncle that was sent by my parents on yellow notepad. Um, and I was also offered a phone call from my parents four days after the funeral. Um, and that was during the period I got sent down. He passed away. So that just made everybody really angry as well. And I remember one day I was having one of the worst days. They made us do Tai Chi, and I was just not having it, listening to this little teeny man in front of me tell me to white crane spreads wings. Like, I remember this day, and Joanna put me on COS that day for, I think, three or four hours. And most people would hear that and say, you were on COS for three, four hours? That's crazy. How did you handle that? But... That was a time where I was put on COS because it was good for me because I would have said something completely outrageous. And Joanna was one of those staff that I really did connect with and she was super cool. I thought she was so cool because she had sugar gliders and she always <laughs> told me everything was a personal problem, <laughs> which is one of these things that I think about to this day is that oh, it's just a personal problem. Like, I'll be fine. And it's those little moments those little glimpses of like hope and happiness that some staff were able to bring us that made being sent down or not following the rules and getting punished or just getting punished for the heck of it. It made it that much more worth it. Like I think I've repressed a lot of the really crappy memories and I've tried to forget a lot of the just downright abuse of power these staff had 
Me too. You guys really did become like a family. It was so weird because I I think that's what made me hold on to that memory so much is just remembering how happy I was with you guys. It's just there's there was something so pure about like all of us just kind of connecting through a beautiful day, like and just having like a peaceful moment. Who or where do you think you would be if you had you if you had not been sent away? This question I've actually thought about a lot, even look like listening to the other um, people and in like the Ironwood family Facebook group we have, I'm listening to others and what they say about the program. There are people that really succeeded and that were really helped and benefited by this style of treatment. Um, I don't think I was one of them. Um, Ironwood not only caused me some pretty severe emotional trauma, um, but there was an instance where my medication was changed in a very drastic way. And without really much standing, I mean, my medication was changed by uh, a nurse who didn't really have the correct credentials to be changing psychiatric medication. And I also didn't have a new diagnosis or I didn't have any new issues to be fixed. Um, so they took me off three medications that I had been on for four years in one day. They just made me stop taking them and they switched me to two new ones three days later. Um, I didn't sleep for five days. I was awake. I remember it cause I was on a cot like on the side cause the girl's bunk was so full and I remember Bobby just staying up with me and I was just sobbing because I just wanted to sleep and I just wanted to close my eyes and rest because they still made me work out every morning. They still made me do all the physical labor. Um, and I was on work impact at the time as well because I was just so sick. I didn't want to do anything. Um, that caused some heart complications that were... Um, that are still present today. I, mean, I still have it today and I will have it the rest of my life as due to medical negligence by the completely unqualified medical staff. Mm -hmm. um, and if I didn't go there, do I think things at my house would be better? Do I think things with my parents would be better or where they are today? Um, probably pretty much the same. I have a decent relationship with my family. It's not the best. It's never been the best. Um, but I think emotionally I would have gone through so much less than if I, if I didn't go, than if I went, cause I actually went to another program, um, a couple of years later, um, to help process some of the, the trauma and the thinking patterns that I developed while I was at Ironwood, like always being told I was doing something wrong or always being like searching out for that positive gratification that I'm doing something right and I'm not this big screw up and I'm not this big failure, which is a mindset that's still hard to break to this day to always think someone's mad at me or always think I'm going to get punished with something or something taken away. Mm -hmm. um, and if I didn't go to Ironwood, I feel like that mindset would not be as, as ingrained in me and I also wouldn't have like heart issues. But do I think it saved me? No. And do I think it saved others? Of course. I think some people, they benefited. But for me, if I didn't go, I think I might have been better off growing up. Because I was a child. I was I was 13. I, 
I just left a small private Catholic eighth grade school. I graduated and I was going into a small private Catholic high school in the middle of the year. I was just pulled away. I, I, I didn't know anything yet. I didn't know that there were bad people in the world and I didn't know there were there were people who just wanted to watch you suffer and I learned that there and I learned it way too young. Yeah, I think that one of the uh, biggest things that you just talked about was the feeling of like um, always being in trouble and like you're, you're looking for this gratification that like am I enough? Am I good enough? I think a lot of kids leave Ironwood feeling that way and unfortunately we like lose a lot of kids due to suicide and I, I wonder a lot of times like do they feel that way like did had we you know been able to create this community um sooner uh maybe a lot of kids wouldn't be feeling like why do I feel this way is it like normal because like you do change your way of thinking when you're sent to these programs and you're in them for like a year long two years long sometimes and when you do get home and you're like given this opportunity to be back in the real world and to have a social life and not have all these rules on you. You're constantly trying to do more just to prove that, you know, you deserve it and it's not healthy at all. Like, so yeah, I completely agree with you when you're saying all those things. Um, and I'm, I'm so sorry that you've like had to leave the program with a health problem that you're going to have for the rest of your life. Like that shouldn't have happened to any child. Like, Meg, I'm so sorry. None of that should happen to any child. Anybody, I think, younger than... Even 17 is too young. I mean, I was exposed to so much that I never even knew existed when I was there. Like, I was 13. I still can't even really understand that I was 13 going through all of that. I was an infant. I look at photos of myself, and I was like, oh, I was a kid. I just wanted to be a kid. But I had to act like an adult. I actually forget sometimes that you were younger than me. Like I was like when I was there because I was fourteen, and I think that yeah, I was a kid, and um, it's it's crazy. Like I when I think back to what when I was thirteen and I was going through whatever I was going through, like I had no idea what I was doing or what was going on. Sorry, sometimes when I hear your your guys' stories, I just have to like process it a little bit because it's just so like fresh, all of it still, um, and it just makes me angry that there's like kids there, you know that are still going through it right now like you yeah. know just having and with covid as well like you know it like you were saying with like the whole it's hard to see a medical staff like we had one nurse on on the property when we were there and it was like always super hard to see her like there would be so many times where i would have like a headache or a migraine and all i wanted was a tylenol and just to get a tylenol would be um i would have to advocate for myself i would have to like just beg for some Tylenol. So just to hear that you were, you know, having a, experiencing a real serious um, health emergency and they just kind of like put it on the back burner and you were like, oh, you're a kid. You're just faking it. Blah, 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 blah. Like just pick up these rocks, do this. It just makes me angry. Yeah. I think the last but not least, maybe on a little bit of a lighter note, uh, if you have a Code Adam story uh, during your stay at the program, would you like to share it with us? Yes, I did have... <laughs> I had an experience with Code Adam. So it was Deep Clean Saturday, and I... Can you um describe what a deep clean is really quickly? So deep clean happens every Saturday. At the farmhouse, it's a little more fun, levels three and four, because they play music, and you get to dance and sing 
but in levels one and two, that is not allowed. So a deep clean is you take everything off of every surface, you pull everything apart, scrub everything down until you could probably lick the surface if you wanted to, because I mean, I remember Nikki's white glove thing. She'd like go around and be like, mm, there's a speck, scrub again. And I was in the fry kitchen. So the level one and two was all fed and run out of this cabin in the middle, called a lodge in the middle of the, the lower level campus. And I had the kitchen for the third week in a row because the boys were doing the barn because they had less people that week or something. So we ended up, usually you switch your lodge or barn and you alternate. But I, my lovely soul got the kitchen for the third week and feeding 45 something teenagers and staff out of one kitchen creates a lot of mess. And Big Mike basically made me crawl into the back of the oven to clean a spatter. And I was like, screw this. I was so upset. I was so angry. I was soaking wet. I was cold. We couldn't do our laundry and machines. So I already knew that my shirt was going to be covered in blue Brillo pad stains for like a month. And I was just done. So I said, you know what? You can do it. Threw my Brillo pads on the ground and I walked out the front door and I heard that lovely code Adam over the radio and I said, fuck it. And I ran down the road. And who comes chasing after me but Dave T. (laughs) Sweet, innocent, kind Dave T who was never really that mean to me he was just doing what he was told by other people when he had to like correct me or give me a demerit. And I was like, screw you, Dave. And I kicked Dave T to the ground. And who comes running around the corner, but Jason. Oh, Jason and his little dog dingo. (laughs) I was not about to handle that and get slammed or face smashed or punched in the back So I threw my hands in the air and I said, I'm sorry, (laughs) I didn't mean it. (laughs) I just didn't want to clean the oven. Oh my God. Because of that whole instance of tripping Dave T, I got sent to the small yurt on the Fry campus. So the small yurt is by the barn. Um, It's like a yurt is a round building with like a pointed roof. No heat. It was the middle of the winter. I'm so curious because I was never sent to the small yurt, but I know a couple of people who get dragged away to the small yurt. And yeah. you guys, we don't see you guys for days. And it's like, I, I don't know what happens in the small yurt. I wreaked havoc in that small yurt. So my first day in the small yurt, Wendy, I was in there for three days. Wendy is was the fry manager little teeny blonde lady with short blonde bob so sweet so kind i still really appreciate her to this day and then i had the most wonderful mix of staff of jason and nikki Mm. now i was not allowed to sit in a chair in the small year you had to sit in the middle of the small year and be absolutely silent it's basically reflection but you have two staff staring at you in the middle of a little 
hut. It's just isolation. That's just, that's what I, mm-hmm. so I was, cause everyone talks about like isolation. I'm like, what? I guess Ironwood had reflection, but no, I, I do remember you guys being dragged to that small yard and that's what it is. You sit in a freaking small little thing with no windows, a staff sits in front of the door and you just nothing, you, you get nothing. And what, yeah, what most people don't realize happens in the small yurt is you don't see um, members of like your cabin or the boys or the girls get restrained in broad daylight. They do it in the small yurt. So I was physically held down in various positions, um, which is known by the psychological community as um, prone and all these other specific terms where a lovely set of people hold both your arms and your legs and just keep you there until you're calm. Um, well, being held to the ground does, as a 13 as year old feisty diva who didn't want to clean an oven, was not very fond for me. So I broke free. And I ran around the small yurt until they caught me. And I walloped Jason in the face, which is something I wanted to do my entire stay because this man was <laughs> the devil. I he was he was awful to so many people. Oh, this man had such like a chip on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. He thought he was so much better than everybody else because he wore tight pants and rode a bike and triathlons <laughs> on the weekends. He had absolutely no credentials or certification to work there. Ironwood, Maine, LLC has job postings on Indeed. Um, and I did a little bit of digging before we gonna, we're going to talk because I wanted to know what these people were asked to have as pre-qualifications for the job. And it's nothing. Um, all they ask for is this position requires strong communication skills, thoughtful organization, the ability to multitask, and most importantly, someone who is able to form healthy connections with adolescents and adults alike. Jason had some pretty healthy connections with people's physical bodies and the ground, (laughs) but, and then their only qualifications that are required are interpersonal skills to work independently as with yourself and as part of a team to serve a pause as a positive role model and operating in a dynamic and changing environment. They prefer a bachelor's degree in a related field or one to two years of experience, but it's not required. And they state that the job is good for military experienced candidates which there were plenty of them there applicants with gaps in their resume someone just entering or returning to the worst workforce with limited experience and education all ages and older job seekers and they don't require a college diploma or degree of any kind yeah i was actually looking at what the qualifications were under the staff that are currently at Ironwood. And a lot of them who do have degrees have degrees for adventure therapy, but that's it. (laughs) Nothing else. I think it's really weird. Yeah. The fact that these staff, like it's, it's just weird because yeah, they talk about, Oh, you get a lot of therapy there, but if you break it down, like I'm, we're spending 24 hours with the staff, not our therapist. We see the therapist twice a week for a short period of time. If they're not on vacation and, um, at the end of the day, 
the staff or the people we are creating these relationships with, learning from. Uh, I mean, we're in a year of this program where you're not given access to anything from the outside world. They become your life. Their lives become your life. You're curious about what kind of you know hair product they're using because it smells different than the one they were wearing last week. It's it's so like intense the relationship you form with the staff because you're so dependent on them. You, you would just think these people had some sort of training. Yeah, you would just think so because it's like like if we're all like leaving feeling like, wow, we had like a lot of weird abuse happen, it's because the staff are the ones that like think that that's okay and they're not having like real conversations with any of us to help us process what it is to be a teenager in that kind of situation. Um, yeah, they don't want you to process. They just want you to be quiet. Mm. That's what it's I remember like. being put on COS by Nikki in situations when someone in the group would be crying or upset about missing home or upset about not being able to talk to their mom or dad or right before parent weekend, watching someone get their purple because when you were level one in orange, you could not have your parents come for parent weekend. You were sent to the small yurt by the barn um, on the Fry campus. And I remember one time I was so upset because it was just before parent weekend and I was so new that they wouldn't give me my orange or my purple because I hadn't worked through my orange folder completely yet. And I remember crying and I was put on COS for being upset that I couldn't see my family. As a, a, a kid, I was told to not look at anybody not use body language to speak to anybody and not open my mouth I was told to look at the floor and cry and Kim who Skylar talked about was the sweetest staff member there I remember my first parent weekend Kim gave me a hug because I was so sad she didn't put me on COS like Nikki did but Kim, because she is a mom, knew what it was like to feel that way. And her maternal instincts were keen. And I just remember that hug. I remember that hug, like, to this day. I remember what Kim smelled like. I remember, like, what the air felt like, what sounds were around me. Because that was a really pivotal moment in my time there was when I think I really realized that there are good people and there are bad people here and not everybody who wears a walkie on their belt wants to see me succeed. Mm. And the fact that the staff didn't have training and like learning about it now, how much training actually goes into becoming someone who works in behavior health. I I've picked out some of the flaws that I remember in some of those staff. And I'm like, that staff must have been so broken to have to treat children that way to make themselves feel better. Mm. A trained professional wouldn't do that. I feel like there's so there were so many situations where um, if, if you were a professional working with children in that situation and in an intense environment like that, uh, there's no fucking excuse for you to have a bad day and then project it onto kids who are trying to heal and and grow with their family if you're gonna do that you don't get to like don't work with kids don't apply to treatment centers and don't have this weird god complex that you 
want to have over these kids. It's fucking weird. Like, why, why are there so many staff out there? And it's not just Ironwood. It's a lot of the programs that are, like, you know, tucked away in Utah and Arizona. And nobody talks about that kids are, you know, leaving today thinking, oh, I learned a big lesson from this program. But, you know, 10 years later, they can't keep their relationships. They're struggling with some kind of trigger what cleaning the dishes or doing the laundry it's just it's a never-ending cycle of like abuse that like didn't need to happen and there these untrained people aren't teaching kids to be better they aren't teaching kids to work through their things they're teaching children how to shut down and survive an abusive toxic and detrimental environment and that leads a lot of people to seeking out similar situations because their brain now knows how to survive something. Their brain knows how to get through something. They don't know how to thrive, how to be successful, how to have that mindset of like, hell yeah, I'm a badass bitch and I'm doing really well in my life. Even to this day, I think that, God, I'm going to screw this all up again one day and I'm going to do something wrong. Something's going to get taken. I'm going to be this failure that these people in these programs have ingrained in my brain that I am like they didn't teach me to cope they didn't teach me how to manage my behaviors or manage my triggers or you know manage my anxiety they taught me how to have more of it Mm. and how to like stuff it down and not show anyone because that's how you survived in those awful places like that's how you got through it pretending you were fine forever yeah. But that doesn't work. That doesn't work anymore, especially in 2020. It is, you know, it's ridiculous to think that you can bottle everything up now, especially uh, through the times that we're having. Like, if you're bottling up all of your emotions all the time and you're not trying to create a support system where you can be yourself and tell someone how you're feeling and what your triggers are and, like, you know, what you've been through, like, there's times when we we're able to process and it's when you're able to talk about it, it's not when you're keeping it in. So there's a lot of older generations out there, I think, who were taught that from their parents that, you know, the, the generations before them had it harder. So, you know, you, you don't get a say of having emotions or having feelings. And I think that that's been projected, projected throughout generations. So yeah, Meg, I'm, I'm just so thankful that you took the time to share your voice and to, um, you know, tell us what you what you felt about it and how you've grown from that um, situation. So thank you so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and thank you for this platform in general. I mean, even people who don't come on and speak, your stories are valid. They're being, even if you're not telling them, they're understood and they're heard by so many people who you wouldn't even realize have been through something similar. And that this platform that you've created I think has really opened up a lot of thinking from a lot of people. I know it's brought back a lot of memories from my time, just listening to people I was there with talk about it. And it also has been really healing to be able to hear others and know, like I wasn't alone because we weren't allowed to tell that to each other. Like, and we got through it. Even if we weren't there at the same time, we all got through it together. Yeah. We'll continue to heal together. All right. Well, thank you so much, Meg. Um, I hope you have a beautiful 2021. And um, 
Thank you for continuing to break code silence with us.